Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Studios, the AusBiz COB is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Welcome to the COB. I'm Juliette Sarling. And I'm Danny Akuye. On another positive day today after that record on S&P 500 again. Absolutely. We've had two days now of green on screen. It looks like we're having a little bit of a melt up, yes. literally, but uh, we'll take it. And there we go. The SIBO 200 up by just over half a percent or almost eight points, uh, points I should say. And the ASX 200 up by about 37 points and also around half a percent, Jules. So it's quite exciting. It is quite Quite exciting. I noted healthcare looking really good. So the big names like Cochlear, ResMed, CSL look looking good. BHP, even though it had its update, looking good as well as some of the smaller players. So as you say, a potential melt up. But let's get to the themes that we're really focused in today. And we mentioned that healthcare happiness there, <laughs> seeing some good runs. Well, it's really interesting because last year, a lot of the healthcare stocks were absolutely rolled with GLP ones and even CSL got dragged into that. But there's quite a few broker upgrades coming through. We've got mm. the ResMed results this week and it does look like they are turning back into the happy space and there could be a bit of momentum there. Yeah, that uh, Azempic narrative seems to have waned somewhat. Let's talk about the chalk and cheese though too. You and I have both been doing a bit of a drill down <laughs> into some of these commodities. I was focusing on, on uranium in particular today and I know you read that Shore & Partners uh, report as well. They've mm. got $150 now a pound, their target for calendar year uh, 25 and 26 I think. But at the same time, lithium is really getting hit. Yeah, it's it's. there's a lot going on in that space at the moment. So uh, I've written today in The View about the downgrade from effectively the Tesla, Tesla whisperer, Adam mm. Jonas from Morgan Stanley, who has downgraded the share price target and the earnings in Tesla. And we are seeing quite a big oversupply of EVs at the moment. Plus there's politics starting to enter the fray after Trump mm. won the Ohio uh, sort of pre-selection there. So because there's concerns that they're going to roll back some of those electric vehicle subsidies. So two sort of, I suppose, ends of the spectrum, isn't it, Jules? When we come to secular themes about clean energy and electric vehicles, well, not everybody's created equally at the moment. But also just the economics of supply and demand, right? You know, the glut in lithium and then the fact that you've got all these geopolitical woes really hitting the uranium sector too. Uh, Education woes, when you look at IDP, I mean, this is really interesting. Goldman Sachs saying that Canada changing its intake of international Mm. students could really Mm. affect this stock. And that certainly played out in the market today. 
Absolutely. And we might just leave that there because I think we're going to do a deeper dive with our guest today. So maybe we should have a quick look at some of those sectors and see how they've performed in today's trade. And we have been talking a lot about the banks and uh, interesting, Judo Bank stock of the day. We'll come to that later, but that had a massive rally. And it was quite interesting, Jules, because we are seeing, contrary to what the analysts are saying, this big, big rally in bank stocks. Mm. Look at Commonwealth Bank, $115.40. Macquarie Bank coming out with an $8.6 billion raising in Europe for investors. Well, they're going to facilitate into infrastructure funds in the likes of data centers. A lot of demand there. Absolutely. All right. Quick look at the healthcare stocks. We mentioned some of those. Let's see where they're settling. CSL up almost 1%. Gosh, getting close to 300, which is where Cochlear sits. Ramsey up 1.2%. And uh, we mentioned ResMed also looking good today. And there is uh, some of the energy players as well, which are a little bit flat there. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's have a look at some of those top corporate stories. And BHP, just worth noting that they have updated on their nickel operations. They're pulling back and that's on the back that uh, the uh, Wailu uh, pulling their nickel operations. They're not going to have the concentrate to actually supply through to that one. So again, when we're looking at the write downs and the restructuring in the nickel industry, uh, very much coming to the fore and uh, as well, Indonesian supply has increased about 40% in the last year, which has been hammering prices. You mentioned Macquarie Group raising $8.7 billion for this new European infrastructure fund. So investor appetite for some of these tangible assets from ports and power to data centres certainly remaining very strong. And Perseus Mining in focus is saying it will make an off-market takeover offer for Orcor. Or, or, or God. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of tongue ties today, but let's welcome to the COB Martin Crowley from Shore and Partners. Can we ask you about the, the uranium call from your team? Or, yeah. Heinz yeah. has gone super bullish. He's gone the <laughs> nuclear summer. So my colleague Andrew Heinz is the head of research yeah. at Shore and Partners also covers uranium. So we've been, I suppose, on this, on this case for a while. Uh, it's clear that there is an argument saying that nuclear makes part of the transitionary um, program. So we can't just switch off oil and gas and coal and switch off renewables, there needs to be some base load in there. Mm. So at the COP26, there was a significant uh, announcement made by the nuclear countries to agree to in- significantly increase their Triple, nuclear. Triple, I think, by 2050, yeah. So, yeah. so that'll keep it around about 10% of the of the base load. So there's not enough There's not enough uranium. So uranium has been in a bear market pretty much since Chernobyl, but definitely since Fukushima. Mm. So people just don't want them in their backyard. So lots of countries were decommissioning their mm. nuclear fleet. So that's all turned around now. So it's like, hang on, if the, it's not just the Chinese that are building them out, if there's other countries going to be building out reactors. And look, they take a long time to come to market. So they're sort of six, seven, eight years, which is why Chris Bowen argues that we can't have them in Australia. They just take too long. They cost too much money. But if you've already got the infrastructure in place, it makes sense. Then there's not enough uranium. And also, Kazatomprom, who's one of the bigger pro- mm. producers, has got, has got production issues. So mm. they're sort of out of the market. So all of a sudden, when Langer Heinrich comes back on, which is Paladin's mine, you know, they're going to get some good prices for it. So the spot price is over 100. The question is, how squeezy does it get? Because mm. if there's not a lot of supply around, we know there's probably speculative money in that market as well. Could quite easily push it up to that 150 a ton, uh, pound, sorry, and stay there for a couple of years. And and therefore, all the people that are in production now, they're going to make a lot of money. Mm. It's so interesting because I was chatting with uh, someone yesterday on this and uh, 
everyone forgets Paladin was so unloved. Nobody wanted it yeah. at 14 cents. And it's a great example of how cyclical commodity markets yeah. are. Yeah. And lithium looks like it's having a really big shakeout. We mightn't ha hit you know, the, the worst sentiment yet. Yeah. But eventually the survivors, the lowest cost producers come out the other side, don't yeah, they, Yeah, we just see this cycle all the time. And, you know, if, if you've been around the markets, we'll have seen these things <laughs> a number of times, right? You get incentive pricing where the price goes up so high that it brings new supply on. Then a whole bunch of supply comes on and you've got a glut and prices go to a level where no one makes money. So look at nickel, look at lithium. So 18 months ago, there's no there's no lithium. Everyone's got to do deals to lock up supply. And now it's like we're shutting mines because we can't make money. And even rare earths, which are, you know, by definition rare, 50 bucks a kilogram for NDPR, which is supposed to be like $200 a, a kilogram not that long ago. So even people like Linus would be struggling to make money mm. at these prices. So we just saw, uh, you know, as you said, nickel mines being shut down, nickel mm. mines being shut down. So we've gone from feast to famine pretty mm. pretty quickly, haven't we? So that's the cycle. So do you do you sell now? Do you use it as a buying opportunity? It comes back to A, your risk tolerance and B, how much of this stuff you've got in your portfolio. If you've got 10, 15% of your portfolio in battery raw materials, it's probably too much. So even though it feels like the worst time to sell, it's probably the right thing to do. Mm. Mm. Let's move to education then. And mm. um, actually going to ask your own question back at you. What beef do Canadians have with IDP education? Yeah, what is it with the Canadians? So just a bit of history here. So if you look at English language testing, it's pretty much been done by charity. So there's a group called the British Council, which is a charity that does in a lot of countries and the Carnegie Institute in the United States. But in Australia, it's been done by uh, IDP Education, which came out of the universities. But they're keen to expand their reach into other territories. So they bought the British Council out of their Indian English language testing business back at the uh, end of 2021, which we just highlighted on that chart there. Mm. And one of the big reasons you own that is, is the India to Canada market. So mm. a lot of Indian students go to Canada, a lot go to the UK, um, less go to the US because the US is not that big a market, but um, certainly testing people in India to go to Canada was a big part of the reason for that. Since then, Canada's um, announced in May last year that they're going to accept other English language testing other than the IELTS, which is the, the one that IDP owns. So they're only using that one. So they've opened that market up. The stock got belted back in May, if you remember. Mm. And then overnight, they've said, look, we're getting all these students and there's nowhere for them to live. Gee, that sounds familiar. Mm. So they're cutting the quota to 350,000, uh, which is 35% down. Now they've got about 40 million people so they're a bigger country than australia mm. and they're severely cutting back on their student numbers so that's uh that's disastrous for idp because again that's a big corridor for them so they're just getting belted by the canadians so i don't know what the management team at uh at idp education have done to the canadians but <laughs> but they're certainly uh they're certainly yeah. uh causing them a few problems at the moment. Yeah, it has bubbled along. But let's uh, switch to macro because you've got blackout for the Fed at the moment, mm. Martin. But we do have uh, yeah, the BOJ today, ECB, yeah. BOC tomorrow, and those Fed fund rate cut expectations. Yeah. Uh, well, everyone's getting a little bit less upbeat, shall we say. Yeah, well, that was one of the big narratives over the Christmas New Year period is the, is the market's got ahead of itself. It's mm. assuming that we have, you know, up to 200 basis points of rate cuts. So if you look at if you look at back in October, which is probably the high point, which is the green line on the chart there, just showing what the Fed futures curve looked like. So you know the market was expecting a hike in into 2024, 
and then a sort of a little bit of a soft landing on rates, getting down to about four and a half by by the end of next year. You can see that the black line, which is which is just before New Year, was the market being you know being um, I suppose peak optimistic on rates. So not only the no more hikes, but we're going to get a lot of cuts. And we're going to be down towards 3% by the end of next year. So that's a 150 basis point move in, what, a couple of months. Mm. So we're just, that the orange line is where we are today. And you can just see we're, we're walking back. So the Fed, the, the, the voters and the speakers that we've had pre this blackout, Danny, have just been saying, look, you're ahead of yourself. We don't see a need to cut aggressively. Mm. We're going to take our time, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just, we're just walking back on that. And I think you'll continue to see that running into the next meeting because they're, they're, they're not going to make a change to rates in the, in the, in the February meeting, but they might, um, they might talk the market down a bit further. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, long-end interest rates, sorry, long-end cash futures just drift higher. I think we've still got... 130, 125 basis points of cuts priced in for this year. That still sounds too high mm. when you consider the dot plot's only 75. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to remember that one. Um, <laughs> I was also curious about this stat you've got. So we're looking at an election year yeah. that the S&P 500 has risen in the first four months of the year by 0.6 of 1% versus 5.6 over the next eight months, so yeah. a rally into the year's end. Yeah, it's interesting. So being the history nerd I am, I looked at, I looked at every... U.S. elections since the 1870s, which is when Robert Schiller, uh, data, his data goes back to, to 1870. And so every four years you get a U.S. president's election and it adds a lot to economic uncertainty. Obviously, you don't know who's going to be president. But so just did, yeah, one, one of my colleagues pointed out to, to me that if you just if you just don't invest in the market in the first three or four months of the year, that's when all the uncertainty is. So we don't know who is going to win the primaries. We don't mm. know who's standing. And then after sort of three or four months, you've worked out, OK, it's Biden versus Trump. Now we can now we, that's one bit of risk that's out of the way. We know what we're going to get. So obviously, the more risk around the number of candidates you have, the more volatile the markets are. And as you head into the election, which is typically in November of, of the election year, you know, you get all the certainty because the polls are usually pretty right. They got it wrong with with Trump and Clinton, mm. but they're usually pretty right. So so I think the markets for, for this year, for example, stay out of the market till March or April and then focus on what Donald Trump's going to do because he looks like he's going to win. But it's just an interesting historical anomaly that all the money's made in the last uh, seven or eight months of the election yeah. year. Indeed. Mm, a big year for elections, Martin. We could talk about Trump. Half the world is voting this year. I know. There Never is happened a lot. before. Never, Never happened, happened before. before. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad omen. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us today. All right, let's have a quick look at the market leaders and laggards. Kicking it off with the leaders of the day. Polynovo up over 6%. Arcadium Lithium Megaport South 32 had a good run and Aluka Resources as And well. let's have a look at those laggards. And as we've been discussing, IDP Education off by almost 6%. And uh, interesting, we've got a mixture there between lithium, oil, gold, but basically Genesis Minerals, Bellevue Gold, Karoon Energy and Core Lithium are all all off the first three by over four percent and call lithium off by yet again another two and a half percent yeah Karun also lowering its brazil production guidance for the year let's again. have a look at again <laughs> some of the small cap winners frontier digital up almost 15 percent tavern brockman mining quantum intellectual and aspire mining all in the top five as well 
And some of the small cap laggards, race oncology are down by a 10% and Strickland Metals off over 8% as was Proteomics. I really struggle sometimes with these stock names. Proteomics? I don't know Proteomics International <laughs> Labs off by 8%. In fact, it's an 8% day. And Amero International also off by over 8%. All right. The stock of the day today was Judo Capital. On the call, our panellist Mark Gardner of MPC Markets and Mark Morland of Team Invest shared their verdicts. But just with the view that it, you know, it's probably it's probably a long-term play, and yeah. uh, but they just they seem to consistently deliver. Um, and I, I think you know on a three to five year basis, this could be the sort of thing that's at <coughs> four or five bucks um, potentially because they're they're growing at a really nice rate. They're very very disciplined with their capital, um, and all they've got to do all they've got to do is take a small okay. bite out of the big four. So uh, basic numbers anyway. Uh, yet, but it's we need another three or four years. But it it, it looks encouraging. Right, mm. and if they can manage if they can manage the um, the loan book and uh, maintain uh, high collection rates and so on, then uh, they'll do well. Okay. Okay, we have the two marks there on mm, Judo Bank. Yeah, and it obviously surprised to the upside. So what's on tonight, Jules? It looks like we've got Eurozone Consumer Confidence, US Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index, and a swathe of earnings coming out, quarterly earnings in the US. Uh, will be interesting to see. We have had uh, guests yesterday from Alfinity talking about intuitive surgical housing. DR Horton could impact on James Hardy. And and uh, also the big Netflix reporting. Yeah, I hope they don't increase their subscriber <laughs> fees again. I was looking at an old credit card bill and thinking, gosh, remember when you used to pay like not much for Netflix? Anyway, let's have a look at the day ahead here. Westpac Consumer Confidence uh, across the ditch, CPI in New Zealand, Japan trade balance, interesting after the BOJ today, and then flash estimates for global PMIs. We're also going to get some production updates once again in the material space, including Northern Star and Woodside. Okay, and just to round out, um, we did have that Westpac uh, index, uh, which we just flashed by, but it was actually reasonably good in terms of the business confidence, or not too bad. So, Jill, should we check out the market, uh, see how they've closed for the end of the day? Yes. Sebo up eight points almost, or over half a percent, and A6200? It was up 37 points, or half of 1%. 7,513, so a pretty good day on the back of, of course, that record run once again on the S&P 500. What will tonight bring us with all those earnings? Well, of course, we'll stay updated on all of that and bring you all the fallout tomorrow morning. We're live from 10 a.m. Eastern. Absolutely. We'll catch you then. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.